Let's bow our heads and pray. Paul writes, this is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Almighty God, this evening we pray that you would uh, liberate us to hear your unchained word, and where our lives in whatever respect uh, act to chain down the effects of your word, free it, we pray, that it would do its work among us by your Spirit. Amen. Do you please set, sit. Uh, we are in the last words of St. Paul, page 1197, the last passage of the last letter that uh, he wrote. And in one sense, there is now very little left to say. Paul has entrusted the continuing mission of Christ to Timothy, his friend. He's presented to Timothy his final challenge. And what can be said after that? And yet, it is precisely because everything is now being stripped away from Paul that what remains to be said demands our particular attention. The last words of his last letter, his last will and wish, his last hopes and greetings. We don't know, do we, these people ourselves. They're often just names to us. And so we miss the poignancy of the names and the stories that they stand for. The heart of this passage as we end is that Paul finds himself stuck in this Roman prison, desperately, desperately longing for company. And various people are no longer on the scene. Would you just take a small look around you? Just look deep into each other's eyes until, unless you find that necessary. But... Um, just have a look and just be aware. And then imagine how it would feel to you if all the lights were on in our building this evening, but you were the only one. You were seated where you are, but there was no one else. That's the kind of feeling that this passage conjures for us. And first, Paul names a failure. We don't know who Demas is in verse 10. What we know, though, is that he loved this world. Let me read from verse 8. Now, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all those who've longed for his appearing. Paul has come to the end of the passage before, with this great confidence in what God in Christ will do on that last day. 
as that world, that new world, is brought into being. But Demas loved this one. He's deserted me, and he's gone to Thessalonica. We know nothing about why, except that he deserted Paul. He ran away. He was a failure. Then, there's a few helpers. Crescens and Titus. Sounds like they were about the work of mission in Galatia and Dalmatia. They weren't those who'd run away. They were part of Paul's team, and they had to go. Galatia, uh, in Turkey, modern Turkey, and Dalmatia, roughly the old uh, Yugoslavia. Mission was calling them, but they had to leave. Mark is somewhere off in mission himself. Now, Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement about him in Acts. Mark had done a runner. And Paul didn't want to trust him at that point with the work. But Barnabas was more persevering. Barnabas was off on mission to Cyprus and took uh, Mark with him. And Mark was in some way strengthened. We have in, in Acts the sense that John Mark was very young. But Barnabas saw something in him that at that point Paul felt couldn't be relied on. And Barnabas uh, took him. And uh, such was the effect that he came back into Paul's good books. So much so that Paul, in verse 11, can say these very personal words. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. Uh, Timothy was to get Mark and travel to Rome. But in exchange, uh, uh, Ephesus, they would be sent Tychicus from Rome. And it was probably Tychicus who brought this very letter. Indeed, he seems to have been something of a kind of uh, messenger for Paul. He's the link, in fact, with the series that's coming to an end in the morning because he carried the letter to Ephesus on a previous occasion. So these are co-laborers with Paul, Mark and Tychicus, with Crescens and Titus. They're co-laborers. Crescens and Titus have gone on mission. Mark has to be grabbed from somewhere in Turkey and Tychicus has to go away with this letter, otherwise Timothy won't get it. And then in verse 14, we have Alexander, the metal worker. Now, it could well be that he is the Alexander who is excommunicated in uh, 1 Timothy in chapter 1, but we can't be sure. But if so, we do know that that Alexander, because of the company he's mentioned in a couple of times, it looks like he left Ephesus. He may well have ended up in a position to betray Paul to the authorities in Troas. Let me give you a a geography lesson. It's very complicated. You'll have to follow it very carefully. Um, This is Turkey. Okay, that was Turkey. Uh, Now, Ephesus is down here, just about where the curve is. uh, And Troas is up there. It's a good few days at March. But it was on the main highway. It was a logical place to go to if you started off in Ephesus and wanted to get out of it. Paul had been captured, we assume, in Troas because of what he says here, and he was transported back to Rome. 
And he wants to alert Timothy to the continuing danger that Alexander represents. Imagine what it must have felt like for Paul, knowing that there was a character like Alexander on the loose. He'd betrayed Paul, and it's not surprising that Paul is anxious. You too should be on the guard, your guard against him. Now, of course, we have exact, all of those people represented in our churches. I've just come away from um, one of the, the less exciting conference experiences I've ever had. It was the Eastern Region Training Conference for New Rural Deans. Well, I can tell your hearts are beating faster at the very thought. Full of exciting news like Rural Deans and the Pastoral Measure 1986. But actually, of course, like lots of conferences, the value of them is actually in the meeting people. And as you meet people from other parts of our region, coming in from very, very different circumstances, you hear stories, stories sometimes that curl your ears, that make you realize what a privileged position we are in in our church. There are wicked people out there in the churches sometimes who twist things because over the years they've been twisted up themselves. We may encounter them in other times in our life. And the fact that we can rely most of the time, I can't think of that ever applying here, but the fact that we can rely on there not being such people around shouldn't blind us to the fact that we may encounter them sometime. There are wicked people sometimes in the church of God as it seems visible to the world. Then there are failures who don't stick the course. There are those who desert, those who we thought were alongside us, and we look around later, and they've gone away. Interestingly, the distinction that Paul makes between them, I don't know if you picked it up, Alexander, the wicked metal worker, the Lord will repay him for what he has done. But then there are those in verse 16 who deserted Paul. And he says, may it not be held against them. For Alexander, Paul is quite sure that there is a terrible punishment coming. But in verse 16... He knows the pressures that people are under and is able to rise to forgiveness and say, may it not be held against them, following the example of his master upon the cross. There are the wicked. There are the failures. And sometimes there are simply fellow laborers who aren't there when you want them. When you want them very much indeed for no glorious reason, but simply because you miss them desperately. Paul feels the sense of being alone. Only Luke, he says, verse 11, is with me. It seems likely from some of the references that it was Luke himself who was taking some of this down. That's another story for another day. 
probably the reason, though, why Luke gets very little uh, mention, because Luke was there. And to that sense of loneliness at the end, we can add a sense of need. Bring my cloak, says Paul, verse 13. You'd have only had the one. It was thick and heavy, sort of felted thing, and it was your main winter garment. I'm missing my cloak because we have the sense from this that winter is coming and it'll be cold. So, verse 21, do your best to get here before winter. Well, the verse with which the whole passage opens, come to me quickly. It's not only those things that he's missing. Verse 13, not only bring the cloak, but bring my scrolls and the parchments. How intriguing. Facing death, and he knows he is facing death. I want something to keep me warm, something to remind me of the heritage in which we started. And you'll remember this is the letter to Timothy, and he's spoken from the very beginning of the heritage of the scriptures that Timothy has enjoyed. I want something to keep me warm, something from that heritage. And I want you in person. I wonder how you would feel if it was just you in the building. And not just you because it's always just you, but because everyone else simply hadn't turned up. You'd feel alone. Now, there are, it seems to me, two reactions to that. The first of them is, well, that's all right, alone is okay. I suspect you'll know the answer to this question. Do shout out. Apart from Christian material, songs and hymns, what is the most played item uh, at a a crematorium funeral? No, not Jerusalem. I did it my way. Sinatra singing, I did it my way. Uh, One of the things I don't know is I'd love to know the gender breakdown of that. I somehow feel it unlikely that 80% of those using it are female, while only 20% are male. It seems to me a particular male thing to say, I did it my way, and that was okay. Alone is okay is one of the voices that our culture seems to say to us. It speaks of a kind of heroism. I've lived a life that's full. I travelled each and every highway. And more, much more than this, I did it my way. Yes, there were times, I'm sure you knew, when I bit off more than I could chew. Uh, But through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and spat it out. I faced it all, and I stood tall, and did it my way. Uh, For what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not. To say the things he truly feels, and not the words of one who kneels. Interesting. Not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows, and did it my way. There is a heroism in our culture, 
that goes with saying it's okay to be alone, to take all the blows, to take all the desertions, to take all the betrayals, and still to be standing at the end of it all, and at the end to say, I did it my way. But that is not what Paul chooses to say, because actually he knows that it's not okay to be alone. There's no heroism in a filthy jail in Rome. And so what really matters at the center of our text is verse 17. Everyone deserted me, may it not be held against them, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. He has not been alone. The Lord has stood with him. And not in some mystic sense, but with all the power of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that Paul's already referred to. Chapter 2 and verse 8, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. If we died with him, we will live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. The Lord has stood with me. I was not alone. And the Lord did two things. Firstly, according to uh, verse 17, the Lord stood at my side. If you were here in the building on your own, then because of the nature of the building and what calls you, because it stands for the gospel itself, then you might know still that the Lord stands beside you. And the task that Paul was given has been fulfilled. Through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Paul was given that task. Of course, it's not true that all the Gentiles have heard it. What he means is, I am in the heart of the empire. And if the heart of the empire has been reached with the gospel, then we've lit the fire and it will spread out through the empire. And we are confident that the the Gentiles, all the Gentiles, will hear it. So the Lord stood at my side. He was not alone. But secondly, verse 18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. Along the way, with gratitude, he reports he was delivered from the lion's mouth. Probably not so much the the real lions. This wasn't a time of tremendous persecution where Christians were being thrown to the lions. Rather, given that there's, there's a kind of atmosphere and some resonances and echoes of Psalm 22 going on here, it seems likely that there is that sense of a final death Uh, that Jesus has rescued him from. And the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. I am leaving this world and I will know and enter into and onto that heavenly kingdom. And so, of course, I can say with that, to him be glory forever and ever. And even though those 
others who, to whom he was close, those who worked with him, are, uh, have, have gone. And even though in his extremity he wants to pass on greetings to people that we know from other letters have been close to him, Priscilla and Aquila in verse 19 and Onesiphorus, and, and there's mention of others, Erastus and Trophimus, who've been left in one way or another. He's still got contacts that he wants to pass on in verse 21. Eubulus, Pudens, Linus, Claudia, all those names that mean nothing until we realize that Linus became bishop of Rome after Peter. These are people who went on to be martyred for the cause of the gospel for which Paul is here writing. They're not just random names. They had lives and deaths and stories in between. We are not alone. It would be, I have to say, I would love to be able with confidence to say our job is to preach the gospel as Paul did so that the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. That's our calling, let's do it, and that's our life's work. For some it will be. Because it's your calling. But the question it leaves me with is, do I actually know what that work and calling is for me? It might not be the same one as was there for Paul. Think of Susanna Wesley, one of 25 children. Think of that. (laughs) Gave birth to 19 children. Her ministry was not that all the Gentiles might hear the gospel. It was while her husband was away, sometimes in jail for financial uh, uh, poverty in, in those days. She raised those children. Two of them were called John and Charles. She did within the limits of her vocation all that she was required to do. As we finish, I just, as we finish this uh, sermon tonight, as we finish this letter, as we finish this life of Paul, we can't escape, can we, that question coming back to us. Do you actually know what your life's work is? And since the answer is probably no, because most of us don't, and some of us are far too young yet to have a clue, The question is, what are we doing to find out? Imagine, imagine what it must be like to get to the end of your days and say, I have finished the work. Paul could say it because he knew what his life's work was. And in the confidence of finishing the work, with the Lord at his side. He could cope with the loneliness. He could cope with the betrayals. He could cope with the desertions. And they will probably come our way too. But he knew what it was to get to the end and say, I finished the work. Can we pray together? In a moment of quiet to offer that question to God, 
What is my life's work? What is it you want me to come to the end of my life looking back on and saying, yes, that I have done? Lord God, some of us know what the answer to that question is. Many of us don't. Some of us know that whatever the answer is, it's certainly not what we're doing right now. And we pray for those. Grant us circumstances and courage to walk more closely with the purposes of you that we do know about. Some of us are walking further than we know we should from your purposes because we've experienced circumstances that have tested us, where others have let us down, fire up our hearts again with a fresh courage for you. And as we travel each and every highway, not like Frank Sinatra's singer, may we long to know your purposes and to travel in company with those whose companionship lightens the load and makes our steps lighter. And what can we pray for faced with this passage except the grace of one day knowing that confidence that Paul himself knew, that the work was done, the race was finished, and that Jesus, who has stood beside us all the way, has also gone before us to give us that crown of righteousness, and not only to us, but to all those with whom we really are in this building, who've been here for generations, with all the company of all your saints down the ages, with all who have longed for his appearing. Amen.